0: Thank you, Brother Greg and Miss Sloan and congregation again. It's good to sing those songs concerning our redemption in the Lord. We are in Psalm 51 tonight, Psalm 51. We started this great psalm last week, and uh, we certainly did not get a chance to finish it. If you're interested in studying this psalm further, I, I think there's three clear chapter divisions there. You'll find uh, you'll, you'll find the confession, you'll find his plea for cleansing, and then you'll find a pledge of consecration to the Lord. Tonight, we're going to look at the last two. We looked at his confession uh, last week, and so it's uh, entitled, uh, for me, I've entitled this sermon, A Song of True Repentance. I I mentioned last week, I'm afraid that much of what we do is religious routine that lacks a true heart of repentance, but David shows us, And I believe it's affirmed in heaven because it made the book. And so if we need repentance, I think we should follow this great example. I want to begin reading in verse 7 and conclude this great chapter. If you found your place and you're able, we invite you to stand with your copy of Scriptures. And we'll honor and reverence the reading of God's holy word together. The Bible says in verse 7, David said, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, or else I'd give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God... Are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. You may be seated, and we'll trust the Lord to bless the reading of His holy word. Let me give a big review before we jump right into here these texts, but it's necessary because you didn't set that long last week. Psalm 51, as I said, is the fourth in the series of penitential psalms, psalms that express sorrow for sin. David writes this psalm following the visit of the prophet Nathan. It had been close to a year by the time this confrontation took place. David had Committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had conspired to have her husband Uriah murdered. And during that time, the king had suffered greatly. We learned that from the others. The commentators said he suffered under the stroke of God. I believe that's an accurate statement. He described his suffering being that both physical as well as spiritual. In those Psalms that we looked, David gave us the horrid details of his intense Suffering. I don't know about you, but it about turned your stomach, as he said. He described his wounds. He said, they stunk. I remember Andrew had a cast on at four or five years old. Oh, summertime with a little boy who thought it was fun to hide worms and dirt and everything in there. Sweat on top of that, you couldn't stand him in the house. David said his physical wounds stunk. Putrefied wounds. He talked also about how he was crippled over in pain, physical pain, how he had soaked both his bed and his couch night and day in tears. His spirit was crushed. He said his heart was broken. This once sweet singer of Israel had lost his song. There was nothing more but a wail of despair from a broken heart and a sin-shattered soul. Most of his suffering during the year was desperately kept private. Why? Because he wanted to hide his secret sin. But God had already exposed that as God always does. He did that by sending his man, his prophet Nathan, to the king to tell him of that story of a, of a rich man who stole a poor man's lamb to provide a, peace, a feast for a passing guest. And the king, as judge, was mad. The Bible said he was wroth with anger. And he passed down sentence and judgment that this man should die and that he should return a payment of fourfold. Then the boldness from heaven, the prophet of God, looked at the king, the hypocrite in the eye, and said, David, thou art the man. Then we have Psalm 51. That's the result of a confrontation from God's word over this man's secret sin. I've said it a million times, I'll sell a million one. A secret sin on earth is an open scandal in heaven. Be sure your sins will find you out. God will see to that. And he did. And so after this confrontation, we find the king of Israel on his knees before the living God confessing his sin. In the first six verses, we looked at his confession. Here was a man, the king, who first throws himself on the mercy of God. And I'm glad mercy's available. I said last time, we have no other approach to God outside of mercy. We can't come on behalf of goodness nor works because we have neither that is fit in the sight of God. All we can do in our sin is cast ourselves on the mercy of God. That's where we found the king of Israel. David was appealing to the Lord's mercy. Then he acknowledged his guilt before the living God. It was his sin and his only. And then he alludes to his sinful nature as a, as a man and, and a genuine heartfelt confession before the living God That's what we saw, and tonight we're going to examine his plea for cleansing and his pledge to consecration. And when you put all those together, I think you have a beautiful, beautiful song of genuine, real repentance before the living God. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't think there's a better song than Adam's ruined race could ever sing than a song of repentance to the living God. And so when you find yourself in sin, I didn't say if, I said when. It's coming. When you find yourself in sin, may David's song of repentance become our song of repentance. I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I want to use what's already made the book. So tonight as we look at this plea of David after his confession, a plea for cleansing, verse 7 says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. David's plea of cleansing has many parts, but in the first seven, we find that his sin made David dirty. That's true. I know that by experience. There's something about the consequences and the effects of sin that just makes you feel dirty. Something that a physical bath just can't cleanse you from. Dirty. He said, purge me with hyssop. He said, I shall be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. You see the analogy there. He needed God to purge him. Here is a man who sat in the highest position in the land. He was on the throne of Israel, the loftiest and greatest position of the nation. He had all the power that he needed at his disposal that a mortal man could possess on this side of eternity. He had unimaginable wealth. He had servants by the hundreds. He had a vast army at his command. He had power and influence to unmatched talent, ability and brilliance you know David and yet with all of that he could not cope with the consequences of his sins against the living God neither can you it is a weight too heavy He was dirty before the living God and no ceremonial cleansing, no ritual, no religion, no earthly resources could clean him up or take away his sin. David was dirty in sin and he begged God to purge him. I don't want to ask tonight, but I will. Who knows what he's talking about? He wanted to be purged with hyssop. He wanted to be clean. He wanted to be washed whiter than snow. And I know this is a lot of figurative language borrowed from the ceremonies of the Mosaic law. He knew that, and that's what he was applying his mind to. See, hyssop was the herb, and those who went to Israel with us this last time, we were blessed, and I thought it was neat, because one day while we were waiting to get into the old city, Jerusalem, we had a few moments, and what does Baptists do when you have a few moments? Eat. We found a, a shop with bagels. We got that fresh bread. It's good. And we got it, and the lady said, Well, you'll want some hyssop to put on that. Oh yeah. So we sprinkled those herbs. Hyssop's an herb, by the way. Man, I have no way to describe Vicky's already smiling. She ate too. I don't know, I'm just kidding. That was wonderful. Hyssop's an herb, but you know the old testament analogy. The priest would take the branch. He would dip that into blood and as a ceremonial cleansing or pronouncing of cleansing of a leper that he could return back to the fellowship, he would sprinkle him with that blood as a symbol and as a sign that he's clean, he's healed, he's whole, he's restored and able to go back into community to worship and do life. Are you following David? David knew without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. He said, I'm dirty. I can't come out of hiding. People get in their sin and they run away from the Lord and run away from the church. Why? They're dirty. They're in hiding. I need to be cleaned. I need to be washed. I need to be purged. And I know it's going to take blood because that's your command, Lord, and that's your demand from the beginning. You told our first parents in the garden, without the, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. He knew it would take blood to heal him and to cleanse him and to restore Him. And so I want us tonight as New Testament believers to run straight to Calvary's cross when we are overtaken in sin and let us plead the blood of Jesus that He may purge us in Calvary's flow. Then we can be clean. Then we can be healed. Then we can be whole. Then we can be washed whiter than so. I praise God. Though our sins be as scarlet, He's able to wash them as white as snow. I love what the prophet Isaiah said. He can wash them as white as the How? All stains, every stain. John said it in his little epistle. You know the song. You've sung it since you were a child. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But his blood is sufficient. And we need to be cleansed. We need to be purged. He uses that analogy of Old Testament that is a beautiful picture of the cross of Calvary and his blood that was shed for the remission of our sins. But also, As David cries out in his dirty condition to be purged, to be clean. He said, sin's not only made me dirty, but sin, Lord, has made me death. That's what he said. Sin's made me death. Notice verse 8. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Couldn't hear it anymore. Boy, sin robs us of a whole lot. Couldn't hear joy and gladness anymore. Sin had silenced the voice of God. I know you know what I'm talking about. In sin, you come to the house of God and you hear nothing. You feel nothing. You're wondering why they're so happy in the choir. What's wrong with that bunch? Why are they smiling? Why are they singing? Well, why would she raise her hand? Why would he raise her? Why would somebody stand and praise the Lord like I used to, like you used to? But now I can't hear because your sin silences the voice of God. Why do people stand and sing? Why do people shout? Why do people praise the Lord? Because they hear the sweet voice of heaven that makes us happy and glad in what God has done in our life. That's why they do that. But sin had silenced that. David's confessing in this text that he had lost his song. Imagine that. The sweet singer of Israel had lost his song. There was no joy. There was no gladness he said just broken bones David was suffering from a broken spirit a diseased body excruciating pain and he just wanted to be happy in the Lord again have you been there I know we're not going to get a whole lot of amens tonight because we live here but I'll go ahead and tell you I've been there It's a miserable state and all you want to do is be happy in the Lord again. It's good to be happy in the Lord, isn't it? I liked when the old time saints, boy, they get happy in the Lord all the time. We're not where we need to be. We need to get freed up and just rejoice in Jesus. Preacher, why are we so quiet? Why won't we do that anymore? Why don't we have times of praise and worship because we carry too much secret sin in our lives? Silence is the voice of God. We can't hear the joy and the gladness like we once did. David said, I'm hurting. I'm broken spirit in my body and in my spirit. It's excruciating pain. I want to be happy in the Lord again. I just want to experience joy of the Lord. Then he wanted to know gladness to be able to rejoice again. He had heard nothing and it was killing him. Thus the consequences of our sin. Here's what I'm going to tell you tonight. I'm just glad it was killing him. There's a great problem when you can live where David lives and don't care. There's a huge problem when you can continue in sin and it doesn't matter. When you can come into church and you're sin and you can walk out of church and you're sin. Something's wrong. But I'm glad. I'm glad when I walk into the presence of the living God and he puts the spotlight upon my life, my sin is exposed and I can't rejoice. I can't praise the Lord. I can't sing like I used to sing. It'll kill me. It drives me nuts and I'm glad it does. That's in a good place because then we desire to be clean. And David said, The sin has made me dirty. And this sin has made me deaf to the things of God. And this sin, he said, has made me ashamed. Look at verse 9 and 10. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. My sin, David said, has made me ashamed. So he asked the Lord to hide his face from his sin. See, the eyes of the Lord are always upon us. And those all penetrating eyes, David felt them. You know what I'm talking about? He felt them upon him and he just simply couldn't take it. What would he take? The shame. The shame, the guilt, the embarrassment that comes from his father looking upon His sin, David's sin, it made him feel ashamed at what he had done against the living God. I mean, does anybody know what David was trying to say, what David was experiencing? I remember as a child getting in trouble. Now, I know you have a hard time believing that, but it happened from time to time. But I really struggled when it was confession time. And my father would say, you come here, right here, young man. I didn't want to because he was looking at me. How'd you walk up to him the same way I did? Why? The words would always follow, you look at me, young man, right now. You look at me in the eyes. I just soon him beat me to death. To look into the eyes of my father and know I disobeyed him, I went against him, and I did what I shouldn't have done. Now you may not have been told this, but I was told this all my life. My dad said, You're a reflection of me. You mess up, you mar our name. As always here. And I'd have to walk back and look into his eyes. I don't know about you, but you know enough about me. I'm a crier. I started squalling for I even did the long walk of shame. Why? Because I love my daddy. And it broke me to disappoint him. And the shame that I felt. How much more was David experiencing when he said, The Lord's looking at me. Where can you go? Psalm 139. Where can you go and hide from the Lord? Though I take my flight to the outermost parts of the sea, David said, Behold, you're there. Or I make my bed in hell, death, shield, you're there. Where can you run from the presence of the Lord? And on top of that, he said, He was staring at me. His all penetrating eyes were upon me. He felt The shame, he felt it. You know what David's saying. And in that moment, he felt the disappointment of God and he desperately needed the forgiveness of God. That's what David's saying. That's what David felt. And all of us know that full well. I think of the celebrities and the politicians when it's exposed to their scandalous life. They come out and law enforcement's escorting them into a car. And the paparazzi's everywhere. And everybody with phones are everywhere. They're videoing it. And they pull a coat up over their head. And they walk and they're put in that police car like this. Any other time they'd be standing there smiling while people's trying to pull them away. No, this is my moment to shine. But when their sin is exposed, they feel the shame and the guilt And the embarrassment they should feel was shame of sin. They hide. You understand that because that's a part of our nature. God put that in us. He said, hide thy face from me. Any other time, David would have welcomed the presence of God, the eyes of God upon his life, his servant. But in his sin, he just simply said, God that you would blot out all of my iniquities so that I could lift up my head again. Don't you like it earlier in the beginning of the Psalms that David said, thou art the lifter of my head. Hear me when I tell you tonight. To his children, God doesn't want to hurt. God wants to heal. God wants to be your sword, your shield, and the lifter of your head. Boy, it's rough to walk around, can't look up. It's rough to walk around knowing that you've disappointed God. It's rough knowing that His eyes are upon you. He sees your sin. Then David asked that he would renew his heart and his spirit. I was excited, full of excitement when I read this and studied this and found out in this little phrase, David used the same word that God used in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He said, God do that in my heart and in my spirit. What did God do? He created the world. He made new. Out of nothing. He created something brand new. And that's what David's saying. He's not asking in this text. He is not saying, God, fix my old wicked heart. David's not asking for reform because David said, I can't even trust my heart. Lord, you can forgive me, but I'm not real sure I wouldn't do it again. Anybody know where David's coming from? All David needed was a pretty girl to step out on a rooftop. He's in a mess again. Don't you look super spiritual. David said, Lord, I I don't need you to forgive me. I need a new heart. I I don't need reform. I need regeneration. I need you to make something brand new in me. God, give me a brand new heart, a heart for the things of God. Boy, that's a great prayer, isn't it? That's what David prayed. That was his plea to be clean, being clean. I don't want to just be forgiven, God. I need something new. I need a new and a fresh work in my life. He knew that his heart failed him once and it certainly could do that again. He needed something new. He wanted a new heart, a new nature, and a new spirit. It's a radical transformation by the work of the Spirit of God. If you ask me, here's why I got so excited. There is an Old Testament prayer that has New Testament truth. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. His sin, finally, his sin made David feel defeated. We need to quit celebrating sin and see it the way it is in the book. The Bible says, cast me not... Away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Abhold me with thy free spirit. And so his sin certainly made him feel dirty, deaf, ashamed, and felt defeated. He felt he was in danger of being cast away. As I read this text and I hear the heart of David, I think there could be no greater feeling of doom than to be cast away from the presence of the living God. To have God's Spirit removed from David. I understand in this dispensation of the Old Testament, believers did not have the permanent indwelling of the Spirit of God. That came at Pentecost. That was the promise of New Testament believers. In David's time, the manifestation of the Spirit of God, the presence of God, and the ministry of the Spirit of God came upon the servants of God to do that which God enabled them to do. They referred that to the anointing of God, the enablement of God to do what God got him to do. He was anointed by the Spirit of God. God was with him to rule as the king of Israel. It was a different dispensation, a different day. So follow with me. I'm not going to confuse you. I'm going to help you here. You remember Samson, Old Testament, empowered by God? But he lost it. He lost it with sin. Not in the lap of Delilah. That came later because disrespect and dishonor of his parents. You remember he went out. He said he's going to shake off the Philistines like before. But he did not know that the Spirit of God had departed from him. The enablement the anointing to do what God had called him to do. He not only lost his ministry because of sin, he also lost his life. And David failed in that moment. He was in danger of losing the anointing and the enablement of the Spirit of God to do what God had called him to do. And there could be no greater feeling of defeat. That's what David's praying. That's what David's saying. Now, for those who are struggling here, listen. No true child of God today can lose the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, Jesus said, I will pray the Father that he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, John 14, 16. When Jesus left, he sent another, one of a like kind. The word is Paraclete. You can't tell the difference. Jesus in person and flesh and Jesus in spirit. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. We are blessed as New Testament believers never to be able to lose the spirit of God. But this assurance was not given to Old Testament saints. And David witnessed that same spirit taken away from King Saul. He watched his downfall. He watched his demise and his death and knew that if God did not intervene in David's life, David was in for the same fate. Notice the desperation of his plea. He felt he was in danger of being cast away. and He felt he was in danger of having cold fellowship. That don't even bother people anymore. Boy, it should. There's nothing like the sweet presence of God to commune with his children, He felt he was in danger. Yeah, I read that to you. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. David most certainly could have lost his anointing to do the work that God's caused him to do, but he could never have lost his salvation. Notice he did not say, Lord, return unto me my salvation. Because if you could lose your salvation, surely, surely you could lose it over murder and adultery. i don't want to let that sink in. I didn't mention the lies and the deceit and all the other stuff. We like to rate sin. David said, returning to me the what? Joy. The joy of my salvation. He could not have lost his, j- his salvation, but he most certainly lost his joy. And his relationship was absolutely bedrock sure, but his fellowship with God was severed. If you regard iniquity in your heart, God will not hear you. Life is rough. Fellowship is cold. He was depressed. And let me tell you that depression, most depression in the Christian life is a direct result of unconfessed some hidden sin, some pet sin, gnawing away at your spirit and in your conscience, causing great depression in your life. And There will be no joy, no joy at all, until there's confession of sin and a cleansing from our sin. David asked God to hold him up. Hold him up above his sin with that free spirit, a sustaining spirit. In other words, God, give me a spirit that I'll never succumb to that place that I was before. God, never let me fall back in that predicament. I can't afford to lose my joy that I had in you. Boy, it's a tough place. You understand what David's praying. You understand what David's saying. God, I, I need your spirit to keep me from going where I was before. You come to an altar in sin and you have repentance in your heart and you seek the Lord's forgiveness. You you better never get up and go back and say, well, that'll never happen again. You, You better never get up and start strutting back to your pew like I'm good now. I think you need to be like David and add to that prayer before you get up. Oh God, I'm thankful for forgiveness. I'm grateful for cleansing. I'm thankful for renewed joy. God, I need you. I need your restraining grace in my life. I need you to hold me up above that which almost costs my destruction. Hold me up. And Then David pledged of consecration in these following verses, and we go home. He says, then, and you need to see that, Then and only then, then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. Thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, or else I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. So in this portion of text, David pledges a life of consecration. His life for the Lord's. How does he do that? He promised to share God's way. He promised to share God's way. Right then and there, he made a commitment to teach, to preach, to impart wisdom to those transgressors, those who had transgress against the law of God. Sinners. He would teach them the way of God and sinners would be converted. You can't teach the word of God and not have people get saved. You can't live and share the truth of God's word and lives not being changed. If God's word was so effective in David's life, David was confident that he'd be effective in other people's lives. He committed to share His life and what God had done in forgiving and cleansing him and changing him with others. He said, it's just too good not to because lives will be changed. David could use a heart and a life of experience to share God's way is the right way and the only way. So let me tell you this, and this is why I said it. Yeah, you got your own story. You got your own sin. that's almost destroyed you, but you come in repentance. God's cleansed you. God's created in you a new heart. He's renewed a right spirit. You're forgiven and you're certainly not finished. Quit believing the lies of the devil. You're not finished. God said, I cleansed you and didn't destroy you because there's sinners who need to hear you. Somebody wake up. I'm not finished with you yet or you'd be home in glory. You've got a story to share. You've got a testimony to give. You've got a witness to share. There are transgressors all around you. There are sinners that need to know that you too were in sin. But you came to God. You poured out your life to the mercy of God. He heard your cries. He cleansed your heart. He renewed your heart. He renewed your spirit. You're not finished. God still got work to do. David said, from now on, Lord, you cleanse me My life's for you. I'll share God's way and I will sing God's wonder. By the way, I'm still convinced that the greatest songs come from the guiltiest sinners who have been saved, who have been cleansed, who have been set free. I think their tongues are the tongues that sing the loudest of the Lord's righteousness because they know full well that their righteousness is filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. And their song's not about them. Their song's all about Him. They sing, David said, I'll sing again, God. I'll make a pledge, I'll share, and I'll sing of the way and the wonder of God. If only you will cleanse me. He wanted only God to be glorified, and he knew that if his lips were ever opened again, y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't talk to choir and special singers for a minute. Oh, yeah, they, they mess up too. They, they probably were in that place if they're trying to hide it. And Brother Greg says, "I, I need you to sing in the choir. Why ain't you singing the choir? You've been sitting down here for six months. Get your tail back in the choir." And they go, "Mm, not ready yet." It's because they've not come here. Can't sing. Don't you look at me that way, Brother Greg said. All right, it's been a long time since you sang a solo. You need to sing a solo. Mm, 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 because they know. You're not going to stand up here and take a mic. You got dirty heart, dirty hands. Oh, no. No. You know the consequences. God's not going to tolerate that. But those have come clean before God. They've confessed their sins. They know God's done a work in their life. They're not perfect, but they're forgiven. They say, Greg, are you going to let me sing again? Greg, can I sing in the choir? Hey, let me sing with that group. Well, you just sung with that other group. Let me sing with them again. I got another song on my heart. Be still. We got a lot of people. I need to sing again. It's not just go for the choir. It goes for those of who wish to be in the choir. We do it going down the road. Y'all not going to help me at all tonight. Man, I tell you, when God forgives a soul, And God creates in him a clean spirit and a right spirit and a new heart. Boy, you can sing along with those. You can make those on the radio sound bad. Why? Man, I'm loud and proud. Because it comes from a heart that's been forgiven by a holy God. And I said, Lord, if you'll do this, I'll sing, I'll share. They can't help but sing. They can't help but share of the wonder and the glory of God. Wouldn't you like to hear heard David's first song after he got up from Psalm 51? He said, I'll do it, Lord. You forgive me, I'll sing and I'll share. I bet it was a sweeter song. The sweetest songs come from those who experience the forgiveness of God. David pledged, I'll show forth thy praise. And then finally, the lesson he learned from all that. He said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou not despise. He said earlier, I'd, I'd give you the sacrifice, but you don't desire it. Burn offering, that's not what you delight in. The requirements of God for sin, David said, can't be found in religion. Can't be found even in the law. They're help us to cleanse the dirty heart. David said, I'd have slaughtered and sacrificed the entire kingdom's flocks and herds to get right with God. Said that over in Samuel. But he learned that sacrifice that God requires is a broken and a contrite heart over sin. Don't tell me you've repented if you've not been broken over your sin. Don't don't tell me you repented and got right with God if you've not been broken over your sin and your heart is towards repentance and getting right with Him. That's what he said. I've learned that. Why? Because the Bible says, Godly sorrow worketh towards repentance. What God really wants from a sinner is a broken heart over their sin against the living God. And then the restoration from God for service. He talks about these last two verses. Many scholars think that these were added later to this Psalm, but that doesn't matter. It's applicable. He said, Do good and thy good pleasure and design. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem then thou shalt be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness and burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. And so what he's saying here is, David, as he did leap into the future in this, if it was him, where Israel would repent before God and their sacrifice and their service would be accepted once again before God. Let me set this way and we go home. Only after repentance, confession, Cleansing and a pledge of consecration to God, will our service, will our sacrifices be pleasing to the living God? Only then are they acceptable. So I'm going to pray and I ask these questions. Who here tonight has had their sin exposed? Now, that's not a time to look at our shoes. I'm talking to my family. I rejoice in God's exposure. God could leave me alone. God could never, ever bring up my sin. Boy, I'd be a mess. I'd be destroyed. Conviction of sin is a glorious thing. That's love and mercy. God showing He cares. So let me ask one more time. Who here has had their sins exposed? Who here has been broken and contrite over their consequences of their sins? I just encourage you to let David's song become yours tonight. Why not come up to an old-fashioned altar, confess your sin before God. He said, if you confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Why would you not come? Confess your sins, plea for God's cleansing, and then make a commitment. I'm going to stay in the book. Make a commitment. God, if you'll get me back to where I was, if you'll forgive me and let me have some joy and gladness when I come into the house of God, I'll share. I'll tell other people that are lost and in sin and hurt and messed up or turned away from God, I'm going to tell them what God did in my life. Don't you think I'd make a tremendous impact? It did for you when somebody did the same in your life. And God, I'll sing. Oh, you may not be choir material and that's all right. Sing anyway. When we stand as a congregation, sing. You say, well, I'm not even congregation material to sing. <laughs> Get in your car. Get in your closet. Go somewhere and sing and show forth the praises of Almighty God. He's worthy. Trust Him tonight. Father, thank you again for the privilege of studying this psalm, being impacted and convicted by this psalm. Lord, I thank you for how you're working in my life, and I pray that you would do the same in the life of your children. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to practice repentance. You would help us to keep a short list, and we'd depend upon your spirit to help us and to hold us above these circumstances that are meant to destroy us. God, let us learn, let us walk. Let us obey you. Would you provide sweet forgiveness and restored fellowship tonight? Lord, return unto us the joy of our salvation, and we'll give you praise in Christ's name.